So when you layer all six of those decision criteria on top of something, then you're only saying yes to things where you have a built-in advantage that can make you money. You're super passionate. You're willing to work hard on it. It's not a really crowded um, and it plays off of your biggest strength. Then you're probably going to do well um, whether the market's going up or down. If you're doing things that don't fit all six of those criteria, then you might get squashed by the market more easily. And the best investors and investment managers have strategies where they add a lot of value to an asset. So they acquire it and add so much value that even during a downturn, uh, they're able to pick up assets and weather through uh, a storm in the economy. So I think that's the most important thing. Good morning, Richard, and welcome to the show. Honored to have you on. I've heard nothing but amazing things over many years now. I can't believe you, you, know, you and I haven't met before now. But you know, you have become just an expert around family offices and what that even means. And oftentimes, you know, or actually we've talked about it a few times on the show. Can't believe out of 1,200 episodes, we've not talked about it more than we have. Uh, however, I know there's listeners who are who wonder like, what is a family office? And is that something I should be pursuing? You know, that, that type of thing to, to work with or to partner with us? Is that even an option? Maybe we can go over some pros and cons today because I know you know those ins and outs. So, but give the listeners a little bit, obviously, about yourself in case they haven't heard of you before and what, you know, Family Office Club and some of the things you've done. You've written so many books around this topic as well. Uh, and I'm looking forward to getting into that. What are, you know, majority of the family offices that you're working with? You know, what are they investing in right now? The biggest change has been taking serious of cryptocurrencies since the pandemic started. So it used to be that almost none of my clients put money into it. Now, almost all of them put a little bit into it. It's like they put in huge chunks, but um, they are putting some in. The other change is that healthcare fared well through the pandemic, specifically medical practices and dental practices. So there's been a surge in demand there. We've closed on seven investments in 2021 that were either into medical practices or the deals were closed with doctor and dentist capital going into like real estate assets, let's say. So those are two things. The other thing is short duration investments. If somebody can get in and out of an investment in one to three years, that's more popular now than it used to be because the world seems to be changing so quickly. They would like to have half their money off the table in just six months and then have those staged over time. There's always money rolling off of a deal. So if the world changes, the money that had just rolled off a couple of months before, they could allocate back into the industry versus being illiquid for a really long time. So those are some of the, the most most popular ones we've been seeing. You know, as far as the ones that own a lot of real estate, uh, specifically or commercial real estate, are, are they mostly buying or selling right now? The holders of multifamily who have been in multifamily for a long time are net sellers. Uh, they'll still look at buying because they have the skill set of adding additional dwelling units, you know, and turning the garage into a studio apartment or something like that. So the people who are very savvy realize the market is so high that they do want to sell right now a lot of assets that are priced really well and they're having a hard time finding assets to buy. But the person who is not as savvy on that are not as much net sellers. They're usually passive in other people's investments and they are allocating because of inflation. Most, most investors think there's 1% a month of inflation right now. There's been a rush to get cash to work within assets because some believe the inflation is going to continue for one or two years. Some people think it's going to be you know five to 10 years is what one private banking report 
came out with this week. So it depends on whether the person is really only focused on multifamily as a big investment fund or sponsor or whether they're a passive investor, but there's a real feeling that money needs to get put to work or you're going to get left behind with inflation. You know, as far as what the family offices are looking for right now, when specifically say investing in commercial real estate uh, or maybe specifically multifamily, let's say they already have the relationship with an operator. Maybe they haven't done a deal together yet, but you know, they've already built that, that trust there, right? We're not worried about that at this point. However, what time Type of deal are they looking for? What makes it, you know, the deal for most family offices to truly consider, hey, this is going to be a great opportunity for me? You know, maybe it's returns or it's probably outside of returns most of the time, but what, what does that look like? You know, novices in business, like when you're getting your MBA or in business school or something, you're afraid someone's going to hear your strategy or like, oh, I got to keep the strategy secret or someone's going to take it. But just like your strategy of producing 1,200 podcast episodes over the last couple of years, the reality is you can say that, but no one else wants to do it. It takes a ton of execution, you know, like just like me writing 13 books, like who wants to do that, right? Only the really motivated, focused person. So what people mistake is that they think it's about the investment strategy and they think someone's going to steal it. That's wrong. Some people think, oh, it's all about promising the biggest returns. That's wrong. We talked about that in the trust factor. It's a lot about execution, but also what doesn't get talked about nearly enough is the structure of the deal. I'll let you choose any deal strategy. And if you allow me to structure the deal, I can make it an amazing deal for me, right? None of the liability, all the cash flow, all the profits, and the other person could get nothing. And but people don't custom negotiate structures, they don't custom set up structures. They don't think, oh, okay, well, maybe when I'm a passive investor, I just have to go into whatever structure they offer me. But when I'm not passive and I'm investing my my own portfolio into operating businesses. Like yesterday, we had a due diligence call with a medicinal, like psychedelic mushroom company in Canada, kind of early on on that trend, kind of like the cannabis trend. And when you're negotiating those types of private deals, you can set up the structure pretty much however you'd like, as long as it applies with securities laws. And people overlook that. So the savviest of investors custom structure their deals. My billionaire client that we've closed five or six deals with, my $1.2 billion REIT client, the shark from Shark Tank I've closed to deals with, they all custom structure their deals. A new ultra wealthy investor or small private investor never custom structure their deals. And they don't even negotiate the fees. They just go into whatever people offer. You know, so I think that is what investors should be looking for. And the savviest, largest ones do look for above everything else. They're going to work with that family office to make ensure it's favorable for them, right? Be willing to be flexible, I guess. You know, some people I've, I've heard this and, and maybe this is a myth. I, I just want you to kill this myth if it is a myth or or, or not. Uh, but, you know, some people say, well, I don't want to give somebody that much control of a deal or they're going to want too much control or too much power over the project. Or, you know, I just, I hear that often. What, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, this comes up often with one of my um, top clients because we put what we do is we find the best of breed independent sponsors in private equity and real estate. And we sign $300 million JV equity term sheets. And we roll out the $300 million of equity over five or 10 deals over three to five years with them when it could be more deals than that. What's interesting is some people saying, and we'll put 97.5% equity of a deal. They only put up 2.5% as the sponsor. And if they run drive, drive powder, then we'll, we'll help them out on that and back it out of fees or something. But what's really interesting is hearing some people say, Oh, why don't you guys have full control? Or like, yeah, but it's 97.5% of our money. And they're like, oh no, I'm just not comfortable with giving up control. And we point out that like, well, you didn't have control yesterday of the 300 million. And if you don't like that, then someone else is going to have the, the management contract and earn millions and millions of fees per year off of this agreement. So 
it's not like you've lost anything, right? Like, I guess if you're time constrained and it's just too annoying to deal with an extra 20 million or $50 million to manage, and you don't want that to build your infrastructure to serve as smaller private investors, then okay, maybe turn away the money. But the sophisticated funds and sponsors understand there's different layers of the capital stack. And you've got institutional investors are going to want one thing and big family offices want another. $20 million net worth families want something else, care about cost segregation and bonus depreciation, et cetera. And the small investors might just want passive income and a decent return that's hands-off and easy to understand. So you know, you wouldn't have controlled the money if you didn't get their investment done. So I just like open your brain to, okay, I'm going to put this person in this box and this is different part of our model, et cetera. And those are the people that, that grow the fastest out there. No, that's incredible. You're not going to control it at all anyway, right? If you're not willing to be somewhat flexible, again, like you're talking about, that's a great answer. Richard, what about any predictions that you have to say in the real estate market over the next 6 to 12 months? Yeah, I think that inflation is just going to continue as is. I think that um, conferences have been opening back up. I think they're going to even more. I also think that there's going to be a few niches that do better than others. I think medical office building, that's an area where we've been spending a lot of time with uh, a couple of sponsors there trying to open up our clients to put more into medical office building assets because it's not as overheated as self-storage industrial multifamily. I also think areas like parking lots, mobile home parks will be growing in popularity with the average investor. We're also excited about, uh, we're developing a model where we take luxury vacation homes in like 50 different cities and investors put their money in there and then they're able to stay at the home for free, but we rent it out on 50 short-term rental websites at a time. So it's, you can enjoy the asset. I think that since the pandemic started, people have realized, you know what, like you never know what's going to happen with the economy or even your own health. Having more of a focus on health and investing in that as your most important asset as an ultra-wealthy investor has become even more important. And realizing that your money might go into 50 different assets. If one or two of them, you could actually enjoy and have fun and create memories for everyone in your family and kind of build memories around the legacy of what you've built and, and feel the rewards of it versus just looking at a number in a bank account, then that combination of health plus making sure you're enjoying your life and not working on only things that are just business or with people you don't like, et cetera, is something that has been coming up with some of my clients as well. How do you like to see an operator prepared for a downturn, a potential downturn, or maybe how a family office likes to think about that, you know, when they're investing with, with an operator? Yeah. So I think what's key to this for private investors listening or an investment management firm, the key for us at least, is thinking through your decision filters on what you say yes to versus no to. So Jim Collins has this hedgehog strategy of only doing things that fit your DNA, what you're passionate about. And what can make you a lot of money. If you don't do things that meet all three, someone else is going to run circles around you like you compared to some guy who does one podcast episode a month, right? Like we don't even know who that guy's name because you run, you, you're passionate about it and you know how to make money off this and you obviously are good at it. So, but on top of that, I layer on top of that, what's your biggest strength as a person? Uh, what has inevitably more demand in the future and growing demand and what is not too crowded? Uh, and it's not like you're going to be one of a thousand people in that niche. So when you layer all six of those decision criteria on top of something, then you're only saying yes to things where you have a built-in advantage that can make you money, you're super passionate, you're willing to work hard on it, it's not overly crowded, um, and it plays off of your biggest strength, then you're probably going to do well, whether the market's going up or down. If you're doing things that don't fit all six of those criteria, then you might get squashed by the market more easily. The best investors and investment managers have strategies where they add a lot of value to an asset. So they acquire it and add so much value that even during a downturn, 
uh, they're able to pick up assets and weather through uh, a storm in the economy. So I think that's the most important thing. Richard, what's your best source for meeting new investors right now? Uh, well, we've spent 14 years building up our investor funnel, which just means like our whole our whole platform. I would say it's kind of cheating to say our live events. I don't think that's too helpful to other people that don't run you know a live event company. Being on podcast has been very helpful. You know, if I go back in time, what was most helpful before I had my own conference company so people could relate to it is speaking in front of a room of really hot, highly qualified people. So if you are raising capital or if you are trying to work done for like a legal tech company, going to the four or five most prestigious law firm partner associations and annual conferences and speaking in front of them so they can invest in what you're doing or partner with you or source opportunities for you would be the most powerful uh, the powerful thing. And I think it's just really important when you're growing a business or raising capital or as a private investor trying to get deal flow to think what would make it inevitable that I have really good deal flow or just tons and tons of investor leads and then figure out where those people are congregated who own the assets you want to buy or who are the investors you want to work with and you just get hyper-focused on that. Like I used to pay $50,000 a year to be in the business owner club and it was great and I got great ideas and made some good friends and we've done some deals together. But nowadays I spend more money on other niche smaller groups that give me a five times higher ROI because for example, if I go to a, med- a doctor event and we invest in medical practices and healthcare deals, I could meet a couple of investors, but I could also source a piece of deal flow and I could source both in the same room. And in a generic room, you can't do that because there's people from every different industry. So there's a value to that, but being more niche focused on exactly what you want to source um, has been the most helpful thing. That's incredible. I love that response and thinking through who your clients are and where they're at, right? Really who your customers are. It goes back to even some basic marketing as well. uh, And just thinking through that on a bigger scale. And you've done that so well. And you've mentioned this a few times during the show, just about being so disciplined. I know you, you talked about my podcast and then just what you have accomplished over many years now, writing so many books. Most people are not going to be that dedicated or, or disciplined, right? I love learning more about self-discipline, obviously military law enforcement background. I love that, you know, and just working on self-discipline all the time, reading about it. And uh, so what really pushed you in the beginning to become so self-disciplined? I mean, very few people have written that many books uh, around these topics and no doubt you're somebody of self-discipline. Where did that come from? How did just come about just the desire to be that disciplined? Growing up, I had started five businesses before I got out of high school. I'd always played a lot of sports, genetic I'm pretty average American guy. I'm not like extra tall or extra something that, uh, but I loved competitive sports and uh, played some in high school, college, et cetera. So essentially the combination of those two things. When I finally got going in the family office space, it was kind of combining the, the rigor of training for sports to, you know, the family office industry and really just training harder than some others and being more dedicated to it. I think also when you start many different businesses and then you start one that actually works and people actually want what you have, it's kind of refreshing and nice after like falling on your face a bunch of times. And and you appreciate it. You don't take it for granted. And you say, hey, I have something here. So as long as I can, I'm going to really take advantage of that and add the most value I can to this niche. And then the final thing was um, Jeffrey Gittimer was one of my mentors early on, along with Evan Pagan. But Jeffrey Gittimer told me that, you know, if you add value to people who could say yes to you on in a certain business niche or opportunity, 
and you add value to them just once a week through like a newsletter or an article or a video, et cetera, and you do that for one to two years, you'll be a local expert. And if you do that for three or four years, you'll be a regional expert. If you do that for five to seven years, you'll be a global expert. And when I read that, I hadn't heard of the family office industry yet. Um, I said to myself, oh, I'm for sure going to do that. I just don't know the niche yet. I'm going to use that formula on. But I liked any formula where all it took was a whole bunch of focus and hard work because then it de-risked it. And I knew, okay, well, I know I can do focus and hard work. So I want to control my destiny. And that gave me a formula to control it. I just needed to find the right niche. And then when I found the ultra wealthy niche of family offices, I said, oh, okay, I can't find anyone to be helpful to me on this topic. And these are the richest people on planet earth. And nobody is, nobody's talking about it really. Like so backwards that I kind of went all in on that and then started putting out a ton of content and got the rewards of doing that. Awesome. I can relate to that to some extent. That's, that's incredible. What about some daily habits that you're disciplined about that have helped you achieve this level of success? Exercising and health is definitely one. I think getting seven hours plus of sleep don't always succeed at that. But that's been a top priority. Most important that's unique to share, because I think probably both of us are doing a lot of things every day, is that I know what my monthly goals are, my quarterly goals, my annual goals. I have a theme for every year. I have a media plan. Like for example, one year I only consume podcasts and books from Dan Sullivan. Uh, in 2022, I'm going to be only listening to podcast episodes and reading books and white papers and articles from uh, billionaires. If they're not a billionaire, I'll wait till 2023. And then what I do is I put also when I read a really good book or go to a conference and hear an idea that I just know, just like that Jeffrey Gittimer formula, that if I put that in place, it would just reap huge rewards or it's exactly what I need to, to do. So most of us know what we need to do, but we don't actually do it, right? Like you could summarize the whole diet health industry with like move your body around and exercise, eat clean food that's not processed and sleep enough, right? And like everyone knows that, but I don't know any human being that does all three of those things really well consistently, like not not very many at least. Um, what I do is I, I summarize these one, there's like I'll summarize a whole book in one line and then I put all those one-liners on this one pager I have. And the one pager has my theme of the, for the year at the top, my monthly goals, my quarterly goals, my annual goals, and then a whole bunch of one-liners, like 40 different one-liners at the bottom. And then I laminate that and I put it in my office. I travel with it. I put it where I shave every morning. And while I'm shaving every morning, I read that over and it's like my compass. So now I'm interpreting my email inbox and everything during the day based on what my goals are and where I'm going. And that's my roadmap or my airplane cockpit kind of control center of my rules for living and what where my energy is going to flow. That's been super critical and, and really helpful. Otherwise, you read a great idea, you forget to implement it. Or you have a goal, but you don't look at your goal list for a couple months. Or you know, you just get off track on what you're trying to get done for the year, et cetera. That, that's incredible. Could you give an example or two of, the one, of a one-liner like you're talking about? Yeah. So one of them is what you do is more important than how hard you work. Uh, one of them from Dan Sullivan is um, you're going to put the time in anyways, so you might as well enjoy life. You know, Another one that I have is just a reminder to listen to billionaires. Uh, another one from Brennan Burchard is you need to take bold, massive action. Another one from Tony Robbins is that everyone's obsessed about strategy. And you go to NBA to get strategies, you go to conferences, to get strategies, you read books, to get strategies. But the state of your mind and the story you're telling yourself is probably at this point more important than collecting more and more and more and more strategies. Um, and so I have a reminder about that in there as well. And then I've got people who have been mentors to me so at the bottom of the page, I have eight headshots of a little square headshot of these people. 
Um, they're kind of my kind of board of advisors that they don't even know they're on there, but I just kind of think, you know, what would they do in this situation or what would, what would they suggest if I had a conversation with them? You know, I've interviewed 1200 plus people now and I've never heard that before. And, and I think, I think it's incredible. I, I mean, I've heard different things similar, but not exactly like that or that detailed. Uh, how do you create something like that? Or is that just like kind of continuous work in progress? The best part about me suggesting that to your listeners is that it costs absolutely nothing you don't need to go to my website and sign up for some trial membership to pay me for it, right? It's just free. So I just create a Word document, plan out your year and have your three to five or seven annual goals. Every month, I have five areas of goals and two to three actions I want to get done within those areas. Quarterly goals, I set up five big rocks for every quarter I want to make sure to get done. And I just have that flow down the top half of the page and the second half Whenever you read a really great book, then I shoot myself a little email with a summary of that that idea or that concept to add it to my dashboard is what I call it. Um, so I'm always adding it and modifying it. And I take off old one-liners that aren't as valuable uh, to me anymore, et cetera. And then just think who's been the most inspirational. Like, who do you want to be when you grow up? Like one of my clients, he has you know probably 30 different companies and does over a billion a year in revenue. But he really enjoys his life. He's laughing at every meeting he goes to. He's constantly traveling. He's having a great time while closing these big deals. And I want to be like that when I grow up. So, you know, that's someone that I have on my one pager. And then I have like, you know, for example, Jeffrey Gittimer, because I mentioned him earlier, Evan Pagan on there, uh, Dan Sullivan, et cetera. So pretty simple. Um, there's no real secret to it or trick. If anyone, you know, wants feedback on how to do it or whatever, they can just shoot me an email at uh, Richard at family offices. Dot com and I'm happy to give him feedback or whatever, but it's not not rocket science. But what's interesting is that nobody does it. So I've told this to my best friends who I know super well, and they take advice from me and I take advice from them. I say this to groups of doctor investors and private investors and people at our workshops. I don't know of a single person who's done it. People often say, oh, wow, that's a really good idea. I don't know anyone who actually does it. And that's the whole thing is like uh, the execution is all that matters. And this is like an execution dashboard. Like every day, this is how, what I'm going to execute on and almost nothing else matters. Love that. And I tell you what, I was just thinking about this and how no one does it, right? We, we all go to those workshops like you're talking about. We hear different strategies, all these things, but very few of us actually put something into work. And I was going to tell the listeners right now, the first listener that sends me their one pager like this completed, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a special gift for them. Uh, and so I just want to encourage the listeners to, hey, let's take some action uh, and, and take advice uh, from Richard here and, and complete this. I'm going to tell you, the first person that sends me their one pager, you're going to get a special gift from me. If you had to say, hey, the one thing that's contributed to your success, what would that be? Integration or integrity of a lot of different things in life. So I think people think of integrity as like morally aligning your actions with that good values. But I see integrity as integrating the media you consume, the food you eat, the clothes you wear, where you live, who you work with, um, your business model, your pricing, everything that you have in life, if you can align all of it, then it just helps each other and things go easier. It's less of a struggle and there's less friction. But if you wear sweatpants into a meeting and you only slept one hour to play video games all night and you go to a really important meeting, there's going to be some friction there and it's not going to go too well. So just the more alignment, the better uh, I feel. And um, when you get your one page, you're done with me. I've got a special gift for you as well. I appreciate that in a big way. Uh, and our, how, how do you like to give back? You mean like uh, nonprofit wise, charity wise, et cetera? Yeah. Any way that you enjoy just giving back? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first way is I really believe that if you run a business the right way, your employees get to benefit so much from being inspired by good leadership, 
getting paid more than other people would pay them um, because you align interests and make it so that their performance compensation really rewards them handsomely if they're great and you just get them off their, your team if you're not. Um, we have a, a division called Investor investorresidences.com where we're buying luxury homes to rent out and investors can stay there while we rent them out. And what we're trying to do is help build one house for people in other countries, like in a poor village or for homeless kids or an orphanage, et cetera, trying to build one house for every house that we buy in that network. And that's something we got inspired to do through um, Jeff Hoffman, who's one of the founding investors in Priceline.com and Booking.com. And we're also giving uh, $100 Visa debit cards to all of our employees on Sunday this weekend. And we're going to tell them to go out and find someone in their community that they want to help. They could, they could buy... Christmas presents for someone who lost their job, you know, for their kids, or they could um, use it for someone who's just having a, a hard time, you know, with their husband or wife, or they could use it for someone who's homeless and help them buy them some blankets or something. So, and in that way, we allow each of the employees to go out and feel like they're helping someone else and get that same good feeling of being able to help somebody else. So that those are the couple of things that we're most focused on, but we, we really try to make sure day to day that we run the company in a way that is genuinely helpful to people who are on our podcast or at our conferences, but also to our employees. And then they pass that on to people like our customers. Awesome. Uh, Richard, it's been an honor to get to meet you finally and, and have you on the show. I know the listeners and I both have learned a lot uh, about family offices. So many details that I'm so thankful came out during the interview, but even some more personal stuff about self-discipline and obviously the, the dashboard one pager, which I encourage listeners to, if you missed that part, I mean, you, you go back and listen to that uh, with a special offer. So I, I'm just grateful uh, for you being so transparent, willing to share uh, and helping so many people, you know, getting into this industry and learning these things. Uh, tell them though, how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you and the family office club yeah it's just a uh, three quick places um somebody's here because they're raising capital then just go to capitalraising.com. we have a free book for you there uh if you're curious about family offices and you want to learn a lot about that and see one of our live events etc we do 15 live events a year that's at familyoffices.com and we've got a whole bunch of free stuff on there. That's our whole business model is to help people out. And then if they want to join as a member, we have a $99 trial for new members that are raising capital and it's free for investors. And then the last place is um, investorclub.com. If you're a passive investor and you want to see the best of the best uh, investments that we see out of a thousand plus deals a year or work with us in some way as an investor, just go sign up at uh, investorclub.com. And it's free to join. There's no annual fee. There's no fee when you invest. Uh, if we do a deal together, it's just a small profit share on the back end. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.